grandma always said that La Llorona would take you if you were bad. Like if you didn't listen to your parents. Me and my cousin Alex never believed her. We were bratty kids. She only spoke Spanish and was from Mexico and was very strict. She would watch us when our parents were at work and she would scare us into acting right with stories of La Llorona, Brujas, and El Cucuy. She said that one of her sisters was taken by La Llorona when they were both girls. There was a creek that used to run by their house and at that creek they used to do the laundry for the family. So my grandma's older sister was named Maria and she was at the age where she was wanting to do her own thing and not listen to her parents. Now this creek was rumored to be haunted, of course. According to grandma, dang near everything was haunted in Mexico. But the family would sometimes hear a woman screaming and crying and the sound always came from that creek. Abuela's parents said it was La Llorona that was going on and on out there and that she was looking for the children she drowned so many years ago. They said she would take anyone she ran across. Maria would scoff at the legends and say she didn't believe in the wailing woman. She said it was just some crazy lady down at the creek trying to scare people. Her parents warned her to be good and stay inside, but she didn't listen. One night the screams of the creek were louder than ever and Abuela's sister decided she was gonna go see what was really happening. She begged Maria not to go, but she went anyway, and she told Abuela she'd give her a beating if she told her parents. She slipped out of the window and never came back. Abuela said the scream stopped after about five minutes and there was only silence. She kept waiting for Maria to come back, but she didn't. She thought about going outside after her, but decided to tell her parents instead. Her dad ran to the creek and her mom ran to the neighbors to get more help to search. It wasn't until daylight came that they found one of Maria's shoes floating in the creek. Everyone knew then that they could stop searching because if La Llorona took you, you were never found. That's what everybody assumed, that she was taken away by La Llorona. Either way, Abuela never saw her sister again. Even after all those years, she would cry when she told us this story. And she swore it was true. Hope you can use this story and thanks for the podcast. I love all the Mexican legends and figured I'd throw in one from my own family. If you use it, I'll send more. Submitted by Martin G. Gonzalez, Texas. people out there in the hinterlands as we've said and done in the last 99 episodes it's your boys rock and max and we're gonna be your guides as we dive into historic episode number 100 here at nightmares and daydreams y'all episode one zero zero in the house <laughs> yep maxi this definitely deserves a toast i love toast man especially like with some avocado and eggs on it you know Ooh. what i'm saying Man, Max, you're talking about avocado toast right there, man, which I like too. But for real, 
Here you go, my man. I'm going to hand you this. Let's have us a real toast, shall we? Yeah, yeah. Just a friendly glass of a quality nameless bourbon. <laughs> the Costco bourbon. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. It's not Costco. We can't name any names because oh, yeah, we're sorry. sponsored okay. by these people, my man. <laughs> it's, uh, as you say, unnamed. Mm, but it is quality. What are we toasting to, right? To us, obviously, man. We just dropped 100 episode. That's insane. I mean, y'all. If you knew me and Max in real life, this is a big deal because we're, shall we say, unfocused at times. So, yeah, cheers to us, man. I'm down with a cheers to us, but let's start with a cheer to our amazing patrons, listeners, uh, and yeah. followers first, shall we? I like, you know, flattery will get you everywhere, right? So they say. <laughs> Without them, we would have never gotten this far. Fair enough, man. A great point. All right, here's to... All you folks out in the hinterlands, thanks for hanging out, sticking with us, and helping our pod grow. Cheers. And now we can cheers us, as you said. Ah, well, hold on. I think the next cheers in order is to our bard. Ah, word. Gang, without the great and powerful Teresa Joy, our show would in no way, shape, or form be what it is today. You ain't lying, Rock. Here's to you, Teresa Joy. Yeah. Thanks so much for putting up with Rock and myself, mostly Rock, <laughs> all these years, and for adding your mystical touch to all of our shows. We love you, Teresa. Rock especially loves you, of course. Yeah, I do. Well, she is my wife, Maxie. Thanks for lending us your amazing talents, T. Some folks on social media had sussed out that you two were married a while back. Yeah, yeah. It's not like it's a secret or anything, Maxie, but... That's true. Yeah, you know, she just makes this show uh, so much better. So cheers to our bard again. Thanks, babe. So should we cheers ourselves now? At long last? Uh, hang on, man. That was a good drink. Right. Like I'm going to turn down another drink. <laughs> All right, Max. So here's to us, finally. One more glass. And to 100 more episodes. So let's keep going, shall we? Uno mas. Cheers, bud. That's uh, good, man. All right. Episode 100. Let's tackle this beast. I don't know why you're not drinking this as fast as I am, Max. <laughs> <laughs> I'm more of a sipper. All right, yeah. So some of you guys have been asking for longer shows, and as you know, when you ask, we deliver. So settle in and get ready for some Tales of Terror. Yeah, so this is kind of a grab bag episode, gang. Mm -hmm. And like Rock said, it's time to settle in and get comfy. We're going to be here a while. Yeah, grab that nameless quality bourbon like us and join us. <laughs> All right, Max, so let's get to the opening story, man. You still want to meet La Llorona? You still feeling brave, son? No, dude. I never wanted to meet La Llorona. And by the way, thanks for the awesome submission, Martin G. from Gonzalez, Texas. Send us more, please. We used it. Yeah, we're going to hold you to that promise, Martin. Thanks. Uh-huh. And damn rock. How many times are you going to ask me that? <laughs> I've said many times that, no, are you I scared, bro? do not want to meet La Llorona. I don't think I ever really said I did, but, you know. Mm, yeah, you kind of did. I guess we can all go back and look at the audio evidence. You were flexing. Let's just say, like, if the opening story is true, I mean, and I'm assuming it is, mm. then yes, count me as scared. I mean, <laughs> that's horrifying. That poor kid and family. Yep. Only a shoe found floating in the water. Mm -mm. Dude, no joke. I'm scared, too. Hell, that's why I stay away from the water, especially at night. And super especially if I hear horrible wailing or insane crying coming from said water. Hell no. Those are signs, everybody. <laughs> A sign to get up on out there. You got to listen to the signs. It's really interesting just how associated with water she is. Agreed. It doesn't matter where. The U.S., South America, Mexico, wherever. Yep. She's always around water. 
You know, we did posit that she could be some sort of water elemental, like she could possibly travel from one body of water to another. Pretty creepy and would explain a lot, you know? It's not a theory as any. However you look at her, she's a sad spirit, right? Or a specter. Tragic, really. Yeah, man. And, uh, you know, for more info, gang, on La Llorona, check out episode 15. It's a good one. And Max is right. Hers really is a tragic story. Yep. Also, episode 91 from this very season, one of our five minutes of folklore about the wailing woman of San Benito, whom we decided was Mm -hmm. a La Llorona manifestation, if I remember correctly. Definitely, you are correct. And for watery female spirits, don't forget the White Lady of the Frio. Although she's not a manifestation of La Llorona. No, she doesn't really fit the La Llorona paradigm, but I know why you're thinking of her. Oh, you know why I'm thinking of her, yup. Everybody, next week, Maxie and I and some good friends from the ATX are going to be hitting the icy cold waters of the Frio River. Cannot wait. Hopefully there'll be waters. It's been pretty dry the last few months, but... In any case, we'll have fun, and uh, we hope we definitely do not see the white lady. (laughs) But if we do, we'll definitely be doing a whole episode (laughs) on it, we promise. That's pretty much guaranteed. So, Rock, we've done 100 episodes. Crazy, right? Well, if you count this one. Mm -hmm. I am. Do you have a favorite? Uh, Dude, that's a bit of a hard question, right? It's like trying to choose your favorite kid, which is hard, or so I've read. (laughs) Yeah, we ain't got no kids. Only the four-legged kind. Yeah, the best kind. All right, all right, all right. Honestly, dude, I I still have a soft spot for our very first episode, just like all the work to get that one done. And the subject matter, La Lechusa, those are some of my favorite cryptids slash legends, you know? Near and dear to your heart. Mm. To be honest. To a lot of people's hearts, right? That's one of our most downloaded episodes. People do love as it. As much as a lethal giant witch bird from hell can be. <laughs> I mean, close to your heart. Am I right? Yep. You are right, man. You know, uh, yeah. that's one that's close to home. You know, where I grew up, where a lot of my friends grew up, where you grew up in Texas. It's pretty prevalent. But uh, Max, I also had fun with Tricksters. Dude, that was a fun episode. And it, yeah. I mean, we could do some more episodes on tricksters there's so many stories and we love them we could absolutely yeah yeah we could do like another episode on tricksters because we barely scratched the surface and there's so many in each culture you know uh you know max skinwalkers was another fun one i'm not sure how you feel about it but you know i like them all on some level and i also quite like spirits of christmas that was an early one that was probably our fifth or sixth one and that was another fun one. that was a good one yeah what about you though man Dude, that one sticks out, and it's a five minutes of folklore, the spirit of Christmas one, Mm -hmm. if I'm remembering the correct one, a holiday one at that. Oh, yeah. No, the one I'm thinking of is the Christmas Lads episode. Yeah, it wasn't Spirits of Christmas. Dude, that one one was ridiculous. We got a lot of reaction from that one. (laughs) First of all, it's a fun little legend, and when you were rocking the Swedish chef accent... The, from the Muppets, because of course all Icelandic people have Swedish accents. You know? <laughs> you know, sure, I offended both of our, you know, Icelandic slash Nordic slash Swedish listeners. Guys, we offended any of you uh, with my sweet accent, and we will say that is uh, too bad because you know we have good fun here. <laughs> yeah, I don't even. I don't even think it was that accent, man. I couldn't even. <laughs> I couldn't 
couldn't even do it again. I do recall a sausage swiper was my favorite Christmas lad, and you said that was my nickname in college or something like that. <laughs> we were both cracking up pretty good. Good team building, as we like to say. <sighs> no, totally. All right. Any others, man? Well, you know, another early one, fairy abductions, was definitely one of my favorites. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the few daydreamy episodes that we have. Uh, Though, honestly, Max, it is kidnapping, so maybe not so dreamy after all. Hey, the Fae, you know, they're their own thing. Good, bad. Not true. Not to be trifled with, according to the lore. And of course, I love the Selkies episode as well. Them's my peeps. Yeah, you would. Yeah, you know, you're very Selkie-shaped, round, sleek, and hairy. (laughs) (laughs) I kid, Maxie. I kid. Not nice. Besides, Selkies are a blast, but the real royalty of the Fae are King Brian and the Leprechauns of Darby (laughs) O'Gill. Let's not start this whole thing again, Rock. We've established (laughs) an uneasy peace with me on the top. Fair enough. All right. And moving on, everybody. So you got something for us, Maxie? Mayhap another tale of terror? I always do, Rock. Listen up, folks. I live in rural eastern Kentucky, one of those small towns surrounded by coal factories, mines, and farmland. I've lived in and around this town my whole life, so I know the area pretty well. At one point, I lived in a neighboring town with a population of about a thousand, some family there, including a family cemetery, and this story takes place there. So I had a rough couple of days. I finally got a job last month and now I have to wait for the blood screen results before I can go back because of a sinus infection. With barely any money saved up. To relieve the stress, I drive. I know the back roads, the main roads, the twists and turns. I can blast my music and just chill out when no one else is out and about. So I went out and I drove the half hour to the county over, turned around in the gas station parking lot. There's only one. And I waited at the lights, also only one. The light takes a minute and I know this, so I just chilled. Cops get bored around here, so I didn't want to run it. I started to feel weird as soon as I stopped. Not like being watched, but feeling like electricity almost. That's the only way I can think to explain it. Just like the hair on my arms stood up and I couldn't figure out why. I started looking for signs of rain, but the sky was clear. And then I saw it. In my rearview mirror, I saw a deer. From what I could see, it was a doe standing alone in the middle of the road. It was far enough back that I couldn't see the features or anything, but close enough that I could see the silhouette. Now, I've seen deer plenty of times. I thought it was weird the doe was alone, so I watched for a second. I assumed the roaming partners were in the trees, and the thing turns and starts walking toward my car. Again, weird, because my car is a clunker and my music is loud enough 
I could feel the bass with the windows rolled down, so it wasn't exactly quiet. The light is going to change in a minute, so whatever, I'm just paranoid. But the feeling starts weighing down on me. The air feels super thick and I start to panic. I look up at the deer again and now it's walking on its back legs. Not upright completely, but enough for me to notice. Like I caught it in mid-stand. It's just walking towards my car. Its front hooves had to be like four or five inches off the ground. But at this point, the light changed and I floored it out of there. It all happened so fast, I can't stop thinking about it. I know about not deer, but I've never seen one in person. I know nothing about them or how to ward them off, just that they look like deer, but they're not. I honestly don't know if I want advice or somewhere to dump this, but I can't get its image out of my head. I've seen plenty of unexplained things around here. I've dealt with this kind of thing my whole life. Submitted by EA from Lon Strickler's Phantoms and Monsters. So the infamous Not Deer rears its overly large head on episode 100. Nice. And super creepy, y'all. The witness was so unsettled he damn near ran that light to get away. Some of you folks out there have asked that we take a look at these, I don't know, what do we call them, creatures? Monsters? I think I call them monsters. Yeah, that works. But Mathalachia? Definitely monsters. Well, from all accounts, they just seem to be deer with a sense of wrongness. So yeah, unsettling for sure, but I'm not sure I'd really call them a monster. You know what I mean? Just deer with a sense of wrongness, Maxie? It was on its back legs, like making little tiny Mr. Tumnus steps to the witness's car. <laughs> it was probably clicking on the pavement trying to lure EA into a false sense of security before it pounced. <laughs> Good job rolling out, EA. Like I say, gang, listen to your gut. I mean, first of all, Mr. Tumnus was nice. <laughs> was he, though? But He was a betrayer. Also, deer are known to get on their back legs <laughs> in order to reach food and whatnot, right? Right. Okay, so now you're Mr. Skeptic all of a sudden. Not deer are also thought to be just out of proportion, gang. Subtly out of proportion, like... The legs could be a bit longer or shorter, the joints bending the wrong way. The head, the eyes are sometimes larger. The neck is oftentimes reported as being abnormally long. And some say the antlers tend to be bigger, more massive, you know, kind of like a crown of swords. And you know what else? Some folks claim they have pointed teeth, Max. That ain't right. Yeah, and then there's the apparent energy that they bring. Like this intense sense of wrongness, this dread, and then the Oz effect kicks in. Oh yeah, like the whole forest or surrounding area going absolutely quiet. That is a telltale mark of some sort of paranormal shenanigans. For sure. I mean, I'm not saying they don't exist. I'm just saying, you know, it also could have been a regular deer that EA encountered that walked on its hind legs toward his idling car as he's jamming out of some mid-80s Van Halen on his 12-inch speakers. <laughs> I don't think so. I mean, hey, you know, Deer could like Van Halen. I mean, you know, maybe EA was playing jump and the not-deer was just about to jump. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> like, 
That's what I'm saying. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> okay, so it's super creepy and unsettling. But for me, as far as not deer, there's just too great a chance that people might be seeing a regular deer in the dark and maybe being a bit freaked out by the sighting, mm. you know, the environment, a lot of variables. All right, Maxie, fair enough, I guess. But I, for one, trust the folks in Appalachia. A lot of dark stuff and then their hollers. Joe is sad you're calling them liars. <laughs> I am not calling them liars. <laughs> Lovely listeners in Appalachia, if indeed y'all are out there listening, we love you guys and gals. What, Max, you don't think they have electricity? Listen, <laughs> I do. I'm not here questioning the veracity of the dark magic and folklore out of them deep dark woods, man. And moving on, <laughs> gang. <laughs> All right. Maxie, as you know, we sometimes get questions from our listeners, and I figured we'd answer one that was posited after our More Dogmen episode. Go for it. All right, y'all. So Christina posted this on Facebook. About the More Dogman episode, you're talking about how some of these entities might feed on fear. Are you aware of any studies or instances when a person encountered one of these creatures and was not afraid, thus allowing them to remain unhurt? For instance, would a dogman decide you just weren't a good meal if you weren't afraid of them? Let me know what you think, please, and thank you. I think I'm going to let you answer this, Rock, since you've done a fair amount of dogman research, more than I have, for sure. Mm. Mm-hmm. Well, Max, that's true, dude. But uh, in regards to dogman and even other cryptids, all we know is that we know nothing. Well, there is a ton of lore out there on dogman, and it seems... Mm -hmm. That the lore, or at least, you know, the stories, the, you know, anecdotes of encounters and whatnot is expanding, like, every day as more people see this creature. Well, well said, Max. And, uh, okay, Christina. And like I said, I'm by no means any sort of expert, but I have done a fair amount of research on the subject, and there are others that have way more knowledge than I do. Linda Godfrey, Dark Waters, Josh from PRT Podcast here in Austin, Tony from The Confessionals, just to name a few. So while there are probably folks better equipped to answer this question than I am, you know, yeah, they're out there. But since you asked us... I'm sure you at least have an opinion, right, Rock? I do. And Christina, the honest answer is I've never heard of a like specific tale involving an encounter to where a person felt safer because they didn't fear the dogman. Almost every encounter that I've read or heard of, you know, uh, the witness has stated that at some point they were absolutely and utterly terrified. Which is normal, assuming you're in the presence of some sort of alpha predator. Yeah. I mean, hell, some folks get scared if a dog barks too aggressively, right? I mean, yep. imagine what you'd feel if a dog man was growling at you, some six foot tall, you know, on its hind two feet, standing erect dog man i mean it's crazy and that's the thing man six foot would be a smaller one some people will see him up to 10 to 12 that's feet insane. so well said max and christina you know the long and short of it is that we don't know but being in control of your fear in any encounter with an animal is probably a good thing so is carrying your silver sword oh man max you're speaking my language witcher four y'all in like five years or so. <laughs> Have patience. <laughs> yeah, you sent me the pick. Was that a cat school medallion? That's, you know, a good question. And at first I thought it was, but uh, no. I think CDPR has confirmed that it is a Lynx school medallion, which is uh, not canon, but could still be cool. The school uh, is kind of, the school of thought on the Lynx school is that it's a cross between the school of the wolf and the school of the cat. I'm digging it, man. Could be cool. 
So are you looking forward to it? Oh, hell yes, dude. I can't wait. But then again, I'll have to because, like I said, the game won't be out for years. So no Geralt as far as you know? Uh, dude, I know nothing on the new game, but CD Projekt Red has stated that the Geralt storylines are probably done. Which kind of sucks, but you got to move on, man. But they gave him a great ending at the end of, you know, Witcher 3 Blood and Wine, so. And speaking of moving on, you got another story for us? One sec, one more celebratory sip, and I invite you to join us. And we're off. Back in the winter of 2001, my youngest son and I were on our way from Boise, Idaho to Medford, Oregon. We had taken a car trailer to his old place in Boise in order to haul his non-running Jeep to his new place in Medford. We hit an area of heavy snow in the southern Cascades around 2 o'clock in the morning. It took around 45 minutes or so to get down the mountain. We had, of course, been drinking coffee to stay alert. About 25 miles west of the pass, it became obvious that the last few quarts of coffee had to be drained. So we stopped at a white spot in the road near a summer tourist haunt that was deserted for winter. There's a gas station and an ice cream joint on the west side of the road. They were closed this time of year and no town or settlement within 30 miles. This is tall timber country and unsettled. Across the road is a small parking area for the ice cream joint. It's paved and about 200 foot wide and 80 foot deep. I pulled in and as I stepped out with my 45 on my hip, it occurred to me in a flash that grabbing the 590 Mossberg shotgun would probably be a good idea. As we walked to the far end of the area to be well off the road, the hair on my arms and on the back of my neck stood up. The area directly to our front was open with a depth of 50 yards and a width of 100 yards. The night was clear and cold with eight to 10 inches of snow on the ground and with a moon that was almost full, so we could see quite well. While standing with my son, about 15 feet to my right, I saw, as if springing from the earth in front of us across the open area, 10 to 12 creatures moving rapidly back and forth in sort of a thatch-weaved pattern. These things, not human men, were close to seven foot tall, thin, bipedal with long arms, medium length gray fur, and fast on their feet. I brought the shotgun up and slid the safety off as my son was drawing his 45. I don't know if I can adequately explain the overwhelming feeling of menace, but here goes. I'd been operating on pure instinct since I had stepped from the pickup. The rotten feeling hit me a split second before the things arrived. The feeling, instinct, was that we were prey and subject to a very bad death. To be slaughtered and eaten. Not a logical process, but a gut feeling and it was massively overwhelming. As they were moving about in front of us, more appeared and mixed in among them, all moving fast toward us. My son and I were backing up towards the truck. I would not present my back to them, and some of them peeled off right and left in an encirclement movement. They were rolling in and ready to kill, as we both knew we were in grave danger. We piled into the truck, locked the doors. I had my keys out and ready as I neared the seat. I had the engine lit, transmission and drive, and gas pedal mashed all in one motion. Adrenaline is great stuff. As we fled, and yeah, we fled. Something very close by let out an undulating scream of rage and pain. I believe one or more of the group had gotten really close to us in their pursuit and I ran over the foot of one of the creatures. Yeah, they were that close. We rolled onto the highway and I told my son to watch the bed of the pickup as well as a trailer. He was already indexed to the rear with a shotgun. 
We hauled for at least 20 miles before the feeling of grave danger started to abate. The feeling that knelt both of us, as we discussed soon afterward, was one of being prey. I am not easily led, and neither believe or disbelieve in all the Bigfoot, ghost, and werewolf stuff. In fact, I'm a skeptic. My son was speaking with a co-worker about six months later who had grown up in Prospect, Oregon, about 30 miles south of Union Creek, where the incident took place. He asked if he had ever heard of any strange goings-on in the area. The co-worker went ash white and pretty much retold the above tell. A family friend, a 25-year retired cop, not given a flights of fancy, and an excellent observer, had a tale very similar from a year before. He says to avoid the place at night. I told my wife of this event, of course. She looked at me at the beginning as though I had developed a third eye in the center of my forehead. That was from shock, because she did believe me, but she didn't want to hear any of the details. She said the tell gave her chills. Me too. As I write this, the hair on the back of my neck and forearms is standing up. I have not gone back to explore, and would not without a large group of shotgun and flamethrower armed men with me. My son and I are both sane, sober persons, and not taken into hysteria. We were wide, very wide awake as things transpired. We saw and smelled what was there. As a sidebar, neither of us heard footfalls from the creatures. They were silent up until I hurt one of them as we were getting the hell out of there. To my knowledge, and I have researched, there is nothing that matches these creatures unless one considers old legends and folk tales. Submitted by M.M. from Lon Strickler's Phantoms and Monsters. Well, do you believe in Bigfoot now, Rock? <laughs> okay, dude. One, I never said that I didn't believe in Bigfoot. And two, whatever the hell those things were, I'm guessing they weren't Bigfoot. I guess we haven't heard too many of the tales people being attacked by packs of Bigfoot, Big Feet. Sasquatchi? Sasquatches? <laughs> Sasquatchy. Sasquatches. <laughs> Sasquatches, I think that's it. Well, you know, Maxie, a possible reason we haven't heard of marauding bands of squatches on the hunt could be because the witnesses don't escape, maybe? The father and son were both armed, but I don't recall them firing a shot in the story. I don't believe they did. They just, seems they just kind of backed up to the truck and ran over one. Good move, M.M. Or at least the foot of one of the creatures. Yeah, it was the pinky toe. The worst pain there is. <laughs> Hence the, quote, undulating cry of rage <laughs> yeah. and pain. Uh, good writing, M.M. I'd be pissed if I had my giant pinky toe run over as well. You know, Joe was sad they ran over him when he was just trying to talk to them about their truck's extended warranty or something. <laughs> Literally coming out of the woodwork to try to sell you an extended warranty. But seriously, Rod. Yeah. What do you think those were? Well, man, at first glance, seven foot tall, hairy humanoids in the forest. You know, Sasquatch is the first thing that comes to mind. Agreed. Though the concept of a, quote, wild man runs across all cultures. The Yaren in China, the Yowie in Australia, mm -hmm. the Yeti, of course. Yep, true. And we have several in the states alone. The skunk ape in Florida, the Ohio grassman, the Mogollon monster in Arizona. I mean, we have hairy humanoids damn near everywhere. So what was your point? My point was that even though we haven't done an episode on Bigfoot slash Sasquatch, if you delve into the lore a bit deeper, you come up with stories 
like the one you just read, which include aggressive Sasquatch. You know what, like uh, multiple Squatches attacking? Well, maybe not just like that, but yeah, I mean, more or less. I came across stories of people having some deadly encounters with Sasquatch, like attacking their homes, vehicles, scary stuff. Hmm. Looks like we gotta do a Sasquatch episode then. (laughs) So you think it was a Squatch, Max? Not just one, obviously, but I think it could have been a pack of Sasquatches, a flock, a whole herd. (laughs) Your thoughts? Is it a pack of Squatches, or is it a school of Squatches? A murder of Squatches, obviously. Only if they murder you, then it's just a school of Squatches. It's an attempted murder. That's only like two Squatches. An an attempted murder of Squatches, right? (laughs) Fair enough. So do you think it was a coordinated attack by the school of Squatches? Uh, no. It was obviously a pack of dogmen. Moving in concert, encircling their prey. That sort of hunting strategy is canine in nature. Wolves, wild dogs, hell, even hyenas have that sort of strategy. I mean, that makes a certain sort of sense. You seriously think it was dogmen? I mean, the witness didn't describe the faces of the creature, and it was dark. I'm just saying, you know, it's possible. Have people described dogman attacks like this? So, you know, our boy Dark Waters, and he has some intense stories, and he vets them before he releases them. So, yeah, I've heard of attacks by multiple dogmen on people and their property. And if true, hell, stay out of the woods, y'all. Like we say, that's good advice, and dogmen do seem to be everywhere nowadays. The new hotness, as we used to say in the 90s. (laughs) You ain't lying, though, man. Get on YouTube and type in Dogman Gang, and you will get a ton of hits. The question is, what's real and what's creepypasta? Dogs aren't the only animal represented in the spirit world or paranormal world right now. Oh, yeah? What you got? Dude, cats. (laughs) You know, we had that five minutes of folklore about the alien big cats, and Mm -hmm. one of our listeners, Catherine Smith... What's up, Catherine? Well, she was one of many who wanted to hear more, so I started digging with the intent of doing a bigger episode. Paranormal cat stories, you know? All right, I'd love to see you work. So you found some stuff? (laughs) Every now and then. (laughs) Yeah, so lots, actually. Uh, Just as a sample... There's a village in western France, in Alsace, called Vangen. It makes it does not sound French to me. <laughs> yeah, well, actually, I don't know if that's the way they pronounce it. There's a lot of German-sounding names in Alsace, though, because mm-hmm. the border has moved a lot over the centuries. But anyway, there's apparently an old garden there, and it used to be a graveyard, supposedly. Mm-hmm. But between the sounding of the church bells for vespers and matins, so between evening and morning bells, two large white cats are known to appear on this uh, garden wall. And apparently they have something of a glow to them or in any case, they're so white that they can be seen for some distance in the night. Hmm. That's interesting. Angelic cats. (laughs) Could be. Maybe. I mean, the town is at the foot of a mountain aptly called Wangenberg, which is legendarily known for being a gathering spot for witches and will-o'-the-wisp type nice. spirits that lead wanderers astray. So, you know, the cats could potentially be familiars or the ghost of familiars. Yeah, I mean, for sure. Or possibly just will-o'-the-wisp type spirits with a very distinct form that they manifest. I mean, hard to know. Well, as Mr. Spock says, fascinating. <laughs> That's fascinating, Max. True. Okay, Rock, so let's get to another really important thing right now. Let's do it. A question some of our loyal listeners have asked about. Uh, All right, what's up? A fair amount of you folks have asked what our listeners should call yourselves 
like a hip moniker they can use, like a team name or something, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> All right, man. I think I get you. Kind of like how Derek's show Monsters Among Us is the listeners call themselves Amongsters. Exactly. Yeah. Huh? I'm not sure, man. I mean, thoughts? Honestly, I've never thought about it. I don't know. What about daydreamers? I, I don't know. I prefer nightmares. All you little nightmares out there. <laughs> little, nightmares. <laughs> little daydreamers, little nightmares. Gang, we obviously have no ideas. So uh, <laughs> you're serious. Hit us up on all the socials or on our website. Whoever comes up with a great name will get a Nightmares and Daydreams prize pack. How's that, Maxie? Let's do it. Oh, hey. So another question is this. Who is that guy on the microphone in your logo? Is that one of you guys? Yeah, that is Nightmare Ned. And he's much more handsome than Max or myself. (laughs) Sad but true. Gang, so before we head into another story, we want to read a few reviews as we forge into the realm of triple-digit episodes. Yeah, thanks so much for the reviews, folks. Mm -hmm. They mean a lot, and they help us move up the ranks. What's the first one you got, Rock? And don't use usernames, please. Yeah, okay, yeah, that's probably smart. All right, this was submitted pretty early. Here it goes. Uh, you guys suck. <laughs> but your content is okay. <laughs> and hey, that guy left know. us a lovely one-star review. Hey. Thanks, my friend. Uh, you think, Max, you think with okay content and I us mean, sucking, we'd at least get two or three-star review. <laughs> okay content should have given us at least two stars. but At least two. I mean, that's a steep curve right there. <laughs> <laughs> but, hey, you know, we want people to share their opinions you don't have to like us it's all right warms the heart it warms the heart <laughs> okay maxi you read one all right here's a newer one love to hear this scary podcast while i'm doing some work and right before i go to bed i enjoy listening to these two guys they make me laugh and i love the stories thank you and keep this podcast going i recommend nightmares and daydreams podcast and give them 10 stars Wow. That's what I'm talking about. That's a great review. So it averages out to five right there, that one. <laughs> exactly. You, know. you get a one star and a 10 star in the middle. We just want a five <laughs> star, guys. Yeah, what a great review. <laughs> what a guy, what a pal. Or what a lady, what a pal. Thank you, kind listener. A true daydreamer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to all of you who've taken the time to give us a rating and review, man, thank you guys and gals, sincerely. We ask weekly because without their reviews and ratings, we're stuck in limbo and they help us move up the charts. Rock's right, gang. So please take that minute. Actually, probably only takes like, what, 10, 20 seconds mm-hmm. to help us out. And again, please share the show now on to the next. Okay, but just real quick. And just so y'all know, guys, the algorithm for podcast popularity is kind of backwards. Yeah. To get noticed and move up the charts, you must have reviews. But to have reviews you first must be noticed <laughs> and on the charts so y'all see the conundrum bit of a catch 22 gang yeah kind of again thanks for the help in getting us out there yup yup all right maxi what's next man another drink oh faith lad now you're speaking my language <laughs> all right man that was delicious all right max what's next bud another story you got one handy let's try this one on for size I will always know that there are many kinds of creatures and spirits that exist in the shadows all around us. 35-year-old Richard O'Donnell told 40 and author Brad Steiger in 2000, Whoever they may be, and whatever their names and ranks, I know that trolls are among them. According to Steiger, who writes of the event in his book, 
out of the dark, the complete guide to beings from beyond, O'Donnell claims that in 1982, when he was 17 years old, he had a very physical and frightening encounter with a troll in a small town in northern Minnesota. Ever since he was a kid, he had heard the rumor that a family of trolls lived in a cave in the woods on an old man named Ulmer Sorensen's property just north of town. Now, even though the old man had posted no trespassing signs, many kids tested their bravery by throwing rocks into the mouth of the cave while noisily shouting challenges to the trolls. One or two of the braver ones even took a few steps inside, trying to ignore the putrid smell of the place. Every now and again, some kids would excitedly describe how he'd seen one or more of the trolls moving about in the darkness near the area. And it was common knowledge, among the local youth at least, that these trolls were to blame for the many raids on local hen houses that were always taking place. Late one afternoon on a warm July day, O'Donnell later wrote, I decided to ignore the no trespassing sign on Sorison's fence and cut across the woods to make a shortcut to my girlfriend's farmhouse. I was walking a worn deer path when up ahead I saw a short, stocky guy coming towards me. As he drew nearer, I saw that he was one ugly dude. He had coarse black hair that literally jutted from his skull, deep set black eyes, and an enormous honker. I could not believe the size of this guy's nose, and when he grinned at me, I saw yellowish jagged teeth that seemed badly in need of dentistry. He wondered why he'd never seen this man before, being from such a small town. He further described this man as standing about five foot four, barefooted and dressed in a ragged dirty shirt and bib overalls that were a couple of sizes too big. His bare feet, at least size 13s, were covered in thick black hair. As the two stood facing one another, it quickly dawned on O'Donnell that Judging from his frank stares, the odd little fellow really wanted his new jeans and boots, and apparently he meant to have them. With an animalistic grunt, the brutish fellow rushed at O'Donnell, tackled him by the waist, and hurled him to the ground. O'Donnell now, at the time, stood 5'9 and weighed 180 pounds and just so happened to be the captain of the high school wrestling team. The ugly little guy was incredibly powerful and he seemed very surprised when I did a reversal escaped his takedown and flipped him over onto his back. I was maneuvering his hairy arm behind him when the most incredible thing happened. I swear to all the saints that he started to grow larger. According to O'Donnell, the being grew a full eight inches and gained at least 50 pounds right before his eyes. He stared in disbelief as he now faced an opponent who not only outweighed him, but towered over him at about six foot two and the smell of him became almost overpowering. He stank bad enough when he was a little short bugger, but now he could win a fall by his smell alone. O'Donnell realized that this was no ordinary farm boy that he was up against. Deep in the pit of my stomach, he said, I knew that I would be fighting for more than my pants and my boots. The huge creature stood there, bib overalls now strained to the ripping point, shirt split apart at the shoulders. As it stared at the boy, a low, steady growl emanated from its chest, and its deep-set black eyes now turned red. Then I knew for certain that the legends about the trolls in Sorensen's woods were true, O'Donnell stated. This thing was some kind of supernatural monster. In the old Scandinavian legends, trolls could tower over small trees if they wanted to. I turned tail and ran like hell, leaving the troll roaring and screaming behind me. Twice I glanced over my shoulders to see if he was following me, but I didn't stop running until I got back into town. 
He never took another shortcut through those woods either. From Inhumanoids by Barton M. Nunnally. Now that's my kind of story. You do love some trolls, man. Though this troll is noticeably different from trolls in the D&D Monster Manual, <laughs> probably didn't regenerate and might have been immune to fire. Yeah, honestly, this felt to me <clears throat> to be more in line with a Spriggan, which, uh, according yeah. to the lore, have the ability to change their sizes. Could have been, man. Both are considered dangerous sorts of fae. That said, I like how the troll wanted his jeans and new boots. He's like one of those trolls from the Tenth Kingdom. You remember that <laughs> miniseries? <laughs> Going back, <yeah. laughs> They're like, ooh, shoes. <laughs> he seemed to be a very fashionable troll, very sartorial. Yep, yep. And you can tell by his bib overalls right there, the height of fashion <laughs> back in Bonnie Scandinavia, though this happened in Minnesota, everybody. You know what I find really interesting about that story? What's that? Well, it reminds me a bit of Gaiman's American Gods. Ah, great book. Yeah, so it reminds me of American Gods in that the old landowner, what was his name, Sorensen? Mm-hmm. He's ostensibly Scandinavian, and there just happens to be creatures of Scandinavian mythology on his land. Yeah, it's like because of his belief, well, we're assuming he believed in trolls, it's because of his belief that he brought the trolls over with him when he came to the U.S. Or, like an ancestor did, mm-hmm. the trolls tagged along with them to the New World, and because they knew the trolls were on their land, they put on signs and whatnot trying to warn people away. I like it. And gang, you know, that book, in Humanoids by Barton Nunley, really good. Some great stories in there. Check it out, y'all. I got mine off the zone. Support our local cryptid researchers, though. I think... I don't think he's from Austin. I think he's from Kentucky or something like that. Totally. And you know, going back to the story, mm-hmm. it's a good thing that kid was a wrestler. Otherwise, he might have lost more than his jeans and boots. Party people, when the eyes of whoever or whatever you're facing off with in a battle for your clothes go from black to red, just run, okay? <laughs> Not to mention that he put on like a foot in height and 50 pounds. Troll, Spriggan, Pugwudgie, whatever the hell it was, I'm glad that kid got away. He was probably part of the track team too, you know, since he left that creature in the dust. Back in the 80s, all we had was playing outside for entertainment, <laughs> you ain't lying. wrestling trolls, <laughs> you know, lucky for him. <laughs> he had been training for that encounter his entire life, Maxie. Little did he know. Like that troll might have straight up just pulled his legs clean off to get those jeans and boots. Just... Like, popped him off, man. <laughs> Discretion is always a better part of valor when dealing with creature from the other side or other world, gang. All right, Maxie, on to the next. What you got? Something scary. I grew up in South Texas, more widely known as the Rio Grande Valley. I'm the youngest of three kids, and we all lived with our mom and stepdad in a great big red brick house. It was quite a culture shock moving from the piney woods of East Texas all the way to the flat, desert-like land of the RGV. There were hardly any trees, mostly just palm trees and shrubs. We saw a cactus here and there, and the wildlife consisted mostly of jackrabbits, rattlesnakes, armadillos. When we started school, we learned quickly that the people there were Superstitious, to say the least. I was in second grade when we moved into that house on Jackie Street, and right from the beginning I felt uneasy. 
I used to be a happy-go-lucky kid with nothing to worry about. I made friends with all the neighborhood kids. And I even became best friends with a girl who lived directly behind us. She had the most superstitious family out of anyone I had ever met. She was the oldest of four girls, and their mother was very overly protective, at least in my eyes. She wouldn't let them watch Harry Potter because it was, in her mind, associated with witchcraft. They went to church three times a week, and they didn't celebrate Halloween. With all that being said, the mom did love to tell ghost stories and Mexican folklore. It was one of the cool things about her, and one of the things I loved most about visiting their house. One night, she told us the story of La Mujer Lechuza. Basically, in my own words, it's about a witch or bruja that could turn into a large owl. Typically, it will transform into an owl with a woman's head or a large owl the size of a human with a few things that are off-putting. If you see a lechuza, you're supposed to pray for your life in Spanish and it will supposedly leave you alone. It's also been known to make a whistling sound, like a human whistling, but if you answer it back with a whistle of your own, the lechuza will swoop down and carry you away. If you wake up in the morning and see large scratches on your doors or windowsills, it means the lechuza was there and is coming for you. So you must prepare yourself accordingly. Now I can't whistle and my friend's mom knew this, so she would jokingly tell me that I wouldn't have anything to worry about. She would also lovingly tell us my friend and I are gorditas, so we wouldn't be carried away that easily. After years of hearing this story in various ways from teachers, other friends, parents, and in books, it was about as stuck in my head as any old wives' tale. I would get excited hearing about it around Halloween at school. It was just another scary story, and it would give us kids an adrenaline rush. I never thought those stories would one day become a reality for me. It happened the summer of fifth grade. My best friend and I were on her trampoline. It was summer, so we were kind of up late. Maybe it was around 10 p.m., and it was a full moon. We spent time talking and looking at the stars until we heard whistling. We knew not to whistle back. Instead, we lay there, frozen, still looking at the sky and listening intently to the whistling coming from the distance. I looked at my friend and she was paralyzed. She was praying in Spanish silently and squeezing my hand as tightly as possible. A few minutes go by and we hear more whistling, getting closer. My friend stops praying and says we should go inside. I agree without hesitation and we start inching towards the edge of the trampoline to escape. In that moment I hear it. And I'll never forget the bone rattling sound and the twisted image that scarred me for life. We felt the wind from its wings and saw it just maybe 15 feet above our heads. A huge, snowy white owl, maybe 12 feet wide from wingtip to wingtip, floating right above us. Its eyes were jet black, and it mostly looked like an owl, but its feet were human. It had huge human feet with long black talons that seemed to twitch 
as its cold, demonic eyes stared down at its prey, at us. It locked eyes with me and I let out a screech. My heart jumped up to my neck and I had never run inside a place so fast. We cried together while praying as we heard it continue to flap around outside. We held on to each other with her rosary in our hands and we continued praying as loud as we could. All of a sudden it was gone, onto its next victim. We were too strong for it to take on. We were both terrified of owls to this day. We don't even look at them in books. Every time I see one, I think of the face of the Lechusa, almost human, almost owl, a strange demonic hybrid not of this world. Believe the tales. Don't go outside alone and never respond to strange whistling. Something just might snatch you up and carry you far, far away. From Redditor Original Sydney. Damn, gang. Them two girls like to get kidnapped right from off the trampoline. It's a lucky thing they were gorditas, que no, Maxi? <laughs> hey, I got no room to talk. <laughs> I love me some tacos. Uh, me neither, man. So, man, that's a first for me. What's that? Hearing about the human-like feet with long talons that this lechusa they encountered had. For real? That's the first time you heard that? Yep, and I've heard many tales, man. Learn something new every day, or so they say. I imagine it would have had a hard time carrying away anything with its feet instead of talons like yeah, a normal true. owl. Either way, mm-hmm. no thank you. Gang, the Rio Grande Valley, or the Valley, as it's more locally known in South Texas, is just chalk. Full of stories like that, man. Love it. I like how this kid from the Piney Woods of East Texas just dove right into all the lore and just loved it. You know, she probably loved Mexican food as well, I imagine. Mm-hmm. I know we do. Agreed. And you know, that reminds me of when we were kids, man. No phones on our bikes. At your best friend's house hanging all day. Getting to know the lay of the land. Like seeing which kid had the Atari and the Nintendo. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. Just like being out as long as you could before your mom called you in for dinner. Absolutely, man. Playing baseball down the street. Just being fools, man. Running around like shaved apes with your (laughs) friends. Getting into (laughs) out of trouble. The good old days. And the Piney Woods. That's where your significant other is from, yeah? Yep, no stories of Lechusa coming out of the Piney Woods, I can tell you. Probably just like Squatch and Skunk Apes or something. I mean, they had the, uh, what is it, Boggy Creek monster? Ah, yeah. It's the variations of the Squatch and Skunk Ape. (laughs) Yeah, more than likely, maybe some moonshine. She says her family uh, told her that they were behind the Boggy Creek monster stories, that it was to, like, cover moonshine operations. I think they were full of it personally but that's pretty smart man to scare all the law dogs out the area as you try to yeah <laughs> as you try to move the white lightning you ever had any moonshine no uh, dude like not like proper brood in the hills illegal moonshine i bought a jar from costco once <laughs> <laughs> that's some super legit stuff hey man i'm just being honest not from the guy behind the costco like actually from the the aisles of Costco. Exactly. Right? That's where, from the hills of Costco, that's where they're brewing that in jars, dude. Yeah, you know, I was not a huge fan of the stuff. Have uh, you ever had some? Nope. Can't say I have. So we're going to shift gears here and thank our awesome patient patrons. Oh, yeah. You guys and gals are the cream of the nightmares and daydreams crop. And we thank y'all so much. Like, seriously, gang, man, from our hearts to yours, 
Much thanks and much love from our small team. Let's start with our OG patron, Adriana. Adriana, yeah, thanks for taking for sure. the first leap of faith to support your boys. Represent Texas. You rock, Adriana. Then in order we got Johnny, Dwayne, Diana, Andy, Tammy, EJ, Katie, Tony, Brandy, and Tyler. Thank you all. Our patron community is small but mighty. Mm-hmm. Thanks again, y'all. And with that bit of gratitude, I think we're moving on again. Mm-hmm. Ready for another story, Rock? I have just the one, my friend. And just for some context, this takes place during the colonial age when Mexico was still called New Spain. Oh, it's not called that anymore? No. Uh-uh. Going back in the day. Yep, like we do. I was always confused when you said you were going to New Spain for vacation, but <laughs> for spring break. <laughs> and we're moving on. Monster of Malintzin. In the city of Puebla, a well-to-do man by the name of Don Pedro Carvajal lived in a mansion admired by everyone. His beautiful wife died giving birth to their second child, a son named Fernando. Leodora, his firstborn, though just nine years old, helped her father care for the little boy. And by the time Fernando was six, he thought of her as a mother of sorts. Now, Theodora was a beautiful young woman who caught the eye of many young men including Juan Luis Caballero, a Spanish soldier. When asked permission to court her, however, Don Pedro refused, believing a mere soldier too far beneath his daughter. When the rains came that year, it was poor Fernando Carvajal who was taken by the monster who dwelt in the mountains near the old volcano. It devoured the boy before the eyes of hundreds in the city square. Don Pedro nearly went crazy with grief, offering a large part of his riches to whomever could find the beast and slay it, avenging his son's death. He ordered a huge hoop to be specially made and installed above the door of his home so that he could display the monster's head once it had been decapitated. Madness, the people of Puebla muttered, and no one volunteered to climb the volcano in pursuit of the beast. No one, that is, except Juan Luis Caballero, who rode into town as soon as he heard the news, promising that with the help of God and the Virgin, he would find the monster and chop off its evil head. As he dashed away toward the volcano, Malacuitel, he was surprised to find the bizarre reptile creeping through the plaza, looking for another victim. Using a lance and sword, his horse struggling in fear against a rider that would bring it so close to an obvious predator, the soldier managed to wound the monster. Dismounting, he chased it through the streets of the city until at last he was able to corner it and behead the beast with a single angry blow. When he returned to Don Pedro's home, the monster's head mounted on his lance. The soldier was greeted by the wealthy man's gratitude. Juan Luis was given, in addition to the promised riches, many titles by the government and a chance to woo Theodora, whose heart he gradually won. They were married and lived in the mansion their entire lives, giving Don Pedro many healthy grandchildren. The house still stands at 201 East 3rd Street in the historical district of Puebla, right behind the cathedral. It is called La Llaman de la Casa del Que Mate el Animal, or the House of He Who Slew the Animal. In the 20th century, it housed the Hotel Italia, 
Now it serves as the main offices of the Mexican Press Organization, which publishes the newspaper, The Puebla Sun. Above the entrance to the building, visitors can still behold, carved into stone, an image of the soldier fighting against the monster. From Mexican Bestiary, by David Bowles, the Novela. I love those old stories, man. Mexico has such a rich tapestry of legends and lore. True, true, man, it does. And this obviously happened. I mean, it's written in stone, gang. <laughs> Literally written in stone. <laughs> the question is, what could the creature have been? And the volcano was dormant, right? Like it wasn't some mm-hmm. sort of fire spirit or elemental? Yeah, like a salamander? Nah, uh, the volcano was inactive, but dude, who knows? You know, the lore states that it had the body of a man and the head of a reptile. Sounds reptilian to me. I was thinking along the lines of a Komodo dragon, which, you know, back in the day would have been considered pretty monstrous. Yeah, totally. I thought about that as well. Uh, the question is, how would it get to Mexico? Uh, that's true. And mountains are not really the habitat a Komodo dragon could flourish in, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's a little bit of a swim from the island of Komodo to Mexico. And <laughs> it's pretty true. amazing how many monsters or cryptids out there resemble some sort of reptiles. I feel, you know, like it's some sort of ancestral memory that keeps us mammals properly scared of many reptiles. Dude, they're poisonous and they can eat you. <laughs> and if the tales are to be believed, they can fly and breathe fire. And if other tales are to be believed, they're aliens living under the earth plotting our destruction. I mean, there are a ton That's true. of stories of folks spelunking. Spelunking means exploring caves, y'all for those uninitiated. Yeah, thanks, Max. So for <laughs> these folks exploring cave systems, and, you know, these are different people at different times at different locations, some folks have reported seeing man-sized bipedal reptilian creatures in these caves. And get this, gang, some of them are wearing clothes, like tight-fitting spandex-looking outfits. Like in Star Trek? <laughs> yeah, yeah, dude. Just like those sweet onesies the Federation has its people wear. <laughs> Not the sexiest outfits, but I'm hoping they're utilitarian, you know? So that's pretty freaky. Imagine the scene, gang. You're in a cave with your light. You hear some movement up ahead. You turn out your light and wait. All right, man, listen. Any sort of movement in a dark space is scary, especially in a freaking cave. So yeah, in some cases, these creatures, these reptilians, are actually carrying lights as well. So there are a ton of theories regarding reptilians underground and mm-hmm. pretty much every culture has a reptilian of some sort of dragon in their legends and myth. Makes you think. Does indeed. All right, Max, how about another story? The following incident happened to a middle-aged couple who lived in a wooded area that lay next to a creek. They were sleeping soundly one summer night when they were awakened not by noise, but by the lack of noise. All the crickets and frogs had ceased their chirping. There was only a dead, ominous silence. The husband got up and looked out the front window, then immediately shouted for his wife to come and see the baffling parade passing their house on their dimly lit street. There were no fewer than four upright dog-like creatures striding along on their hind legs. The couple, stunned, 
watched the eerie quartet walk about a hundred yards to a house that sat on a small hill. They swarmed all over the house's exterior, peering in the windows. One leaped easily onto the roof and stalked around it. After a thorough inspection of the property, the canids walked away, heading west towards a golf course. The couple returned uneasily to their bed. From Real Wolfmen, True Encounters in Modern America by Linda S. Godfrey First off, big shout out to Linda Godfrey, one of the OG Dogman investigators. We love her on this show. Go buy her books, gang. Great reads to give you chills before bedtime. And you know, Maxie, the Oz effect kicked in again, and it's that point before some sort of paranormal or supernatural event happens where the natural world goes absolutely silent. Dude, it happens time and time again. Yeah, like all the bugs and night critters just went silent when these four dogmen walked by. Like you said, it's a hallmark of many encounters. You know, the other thing is, why did they go, you know, why did they all go up and check that house on the hill? Like, what was special about that house? Good question. And horrifying if you happen to be the one living there. (laughs) Dogmen peering in your windows, stomping on your roof. No, thank you. That's what I'm saying. So shifting gears back to the Oz effect, what do you think causes that? just the sheer wrongness of these creatures being in the area? And if that's the case, it kind of proves that the creatures are not part of the natural ecosystem, right? You know, that's as good a theory as any, man. Like, Godfrey posits that, you know, maybe insects and birds can detect electromagnetic disturbances caused by these, you know, rampaging entities whose energy vibration doesn't match that of our own world, you know? Sounds quasi-legit to me. So the thought is, like I said, that the dogmen are perhaps otherworldly or other planar visitors? Well, you know, as we've said before, there are many theories revolving around the origins of dogmen. Some think that, you know, yeah, they're completely and utterly physical creatures from Earth, from this plane, just like an undiscovered species. While others think they're absolutely otherworldly visitors, creatures from another dimension, like you just said. There are also some theories that the dogmen are connected to the Nephilim like the sons of fallen angels. So yeah, a lot of theories and we don't know, gang. Like I said, y'all want to know more? Linda's books are a great place to start. And speaking of amazing authors, the late, great Rosemary Ellen Guiley also wrote some books that are well worth reading. Yeah, her book on Jen, from what I hear, is super legit. Dude, that book apparently is so legit she asked her publisher to stop printing the book because wacky stuff was going on with her. Listeners will remember our episode on Jin from, was it season one or season two? Uh, season, jeez, what is that, <laughs> season one? Anyways, Three. it was a while ago. Listen, anyway you slice it, it's a good one, gang. So Max, dude, you got a Jin story for us? Let me see, yeah, I got one right here in my pocket. Check your notes, baby. I do indeed. I was stationed in the Ivory Coast in 2002. I got to know the locals fairly well. My parents were Muslim converts, but I was more agnostic than anything. I used to pay people to cook for me. $20 will fill up someone's pantry there. I spoke Arabic and the locals I got to know also spoke it. 
One day, a local called Kashif asked me if I wanted to pay a visit to a neighbor who was possessed and that they were praying over him. I said, yeah, sure, why not? It wasn't like Hollywood. It was kind of peaceful. The possessed guy was chill. There was no deep growling voice or anything. He looked at me and asked what that thing was pointing to my shirt. I've had a charm my mother gave me since I was a teen. It's a tiny leather triangle with something inside it that's supposed to ward off evil, usually worn around the neck or right arm. This was pinned inside my shirt, behind my front pocket. There's no way anyone would know. I played dumb and said, my pocket is empty. And he said, no, underneath. So I unbuttoned my shirt and made sure my fingers covered it and said, what? He said, under your fingers. I got a chill, I said. How did you know? He said the name of the guy who had passed away years ago. And he was the guy who wrote the charm back in Australia. I noped out. Back at base, I stood in front of the mirror trying to see if there was any kind of giveaway. Nothing. I talked to Kashif about it later, and he said, Jin can sense these things. At that point, it was like I was asleep my whole life, and there are forces out there. I read more into their belief of Jin, and frankly, I was terrified for a while. Posted by Redditor, Abs Not Omega. All right, y'all. Now that, like, that was innocuous and incredibly unsettling, man. Agreed. It's like the possessed person just knew he had some charm. Dude, and I gotta say this. This dude must have been bored out of his mind to go see a possessed person. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, am I right? Agreed. I could think of a million other things to do before that. Like, hey, you want to go see us exercise this guy? Yeah, no. Nah. Yeah. I'd rather go watch paint dry. <laughs> you know, I'll clean house before I go on that full errand. <laughs> like, no thanks. <laughs> I think we all want to say, oh, hell no. Nah. Nope. Well said, Maxie. All right, gang. So let's get into our final story of the night. A group of Ute teens were parked near the Skinwalker Ranch when they were frightened by a bright orb. The orb manifested in a bat-winged, horned humanoid that attacked one of the teens. A resident of Salt Lake City, Utah, contacted me about a bizarre encounter told to him. I have an unbelievable story to tell you. Are you familiar with the Skinwalker Ranch over here in Northeast Utah? I have a close relative that is pretty much the UFO guy in that area. He's been telling me these stories ever since I was a little kid. So I've been out to that area several times. I was there in spring 2013 and nothing happened. We went around other ranch areas and there was no activity. The next night on a Saturday, something did happen. What I later found out through my UFO relative, there were a few teen Ute kids who were driving in a tall truck about eight feet high. They pulled up to the gate of the Skinwalker Ranch 
and parked there. They said that they saw an orb of light appearing above the gate. They turned on their lights and engine because they got scared. Then an even brighter light appeared and moved over their truck. Then something hit their truck. The kids got scared, so they hauled it quickly down the ranch access road to the main road. They stopped, I'm guessing about three quarters of a mile from the gate. They got out to look at the damage done to the truck for some reason. Apparently, there are some girls with them. Well, once they got back in the truck, this is where it gets weird. A creature grabbed this kid who was in the passenger seat and pulled him out of the truck. It threw him around like a rag doll, bit him on the butt several times and clawed him. Long story short, somehow this kid got back in the truck. They were able to get back in the truck, drive away, and then talk to the Ute tribal police. The tribal police say there's nothing they can do about it. So the next day, which would be Sunday, they contacted my UFO relative, and he went down there to investigate. Meanwhile, there was a shaman and his wife there blessing the kids that had been involved in the incident. My UFO relative said that he saw a photo on one of the kids' cell phones of this creature. He also saw the damage done to the truck. Scratched into the truck was the word die. And he also saw the injuries inflicted on the kid and the bite marks. Now that was very unbelievable for me to hear. The crazy thing about it is this. I work at a hospital. A few months ago, one of my patients was actually the shaman's wife, who was present at the time that my relative was there to investigate. And she told me exactly what my relative said, but in greater detail. The creature that she described, and also what my relative said, had to be a tall creature because it pulled this kid out of this window. That's the eight foot tall truck and this creature had horns and red skin. It had a human-like face, but the mouth was distorted, resembling short canine snout. It had claws and bat-like wings. I asked if it was a skinwalker, and she replied, no, this is something totally different. Submitted by Jay from Lon Strickler's Phantoms and Monsters. Wow, dude. That is intense. Yeah, so Skinwalker Ranch, that's a whole Mm-mm. other thing right there. So they say, dude, I've read the book. And uh, it's hard to peg one specific thing going on with that property, you know, like portals appearing, UFOs, giant wolf-like creatures. The list goes on. And fun fact, a friend of ours in Vegas, uh, she was an engineer. She worked for Bigelow Space. And he bought that place, like, looking, you know, for all these scientific and supernatural anomalies. I'm not sure that he ever found them, though. Crazy. And... This thing that took the kid out of the truck? No, man. Very Jeepers Creepers, right? Agreed, and I hate that movie. (laughs) (laughs) So no review on Jeepers Creepers, right? 
I just did, Maxie. Short and succinct. <laughs> Best review ever. I gave it two thumbs down. Though, you know, I thought the monster was kind of cool. Speaking of monsters, this entity that pulled the kid out of the truck? Mm-hmm. Keep your windows up, gang. Fresh air is overrated. I mean, the description of the creature, red-skinned, horns, wings, sounds pretty demonic. Yeah, agreed. You know, strange things occur in and around Native American reservations, and that's a fact. Totally. Lots of strange tales coming from the res after dark, at least according to the lore. Mm-hmm. You ain't lying, Max. All right. So, gang, with that last story, we are done for the night. And as always, thank you so much for hanging with us. We know you guys and gals have a plethora of choices when it comes to paranormal podcasts, and we're just excited and thankful to be in your rotation. Much obliged. Well said, Rock. And really, y'all, ask us several years ago if we think we'd reach 100 episodes. <laughs> I'm not convinced we would have said yes. As we said in the beginning, but we made it. And, you know, we thanked her earlier, but we really have to thank our bard, Teresa Joy, again. She's the foundation on which our pod's based. Her professionalism and creativity has helped our pod a ton, y'all. People message us often about the production of our show, the sound, the music, all that. And it's all her. Thanks again, T. So, gang, support our bard by going over to her website at TeresaJoyMusic.com and finding and following her on Facebook and Instagram. That's at Viabright on Facebook and Instagram. She's amazing. And speaking of the socials, join us on Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, all that. We love to hear from y'all. And we want your stories. Yes. Contact us through our website, nightmarespodcast.net or through social media, whatever is easiest for you. However you do it, just send us your stories. Yeah, everybody, we definitely want to hear your stories. So please, we want them. We need them. Also, next week, we are going to be dark. As Max said earlier, we are heading to the Frio to uh, drink some beer and tube some water and (laughs) probably barbecue some stuff. And with that said, we hope you'll be here for the next 100 episodes. We do indeed. So, ladies and gentlemen, as always, be good to each other and sweet dreams. dreams.